We're in Matthew chapter 10. The message is entitled, Soldiers of the King. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you give us insight into your word. Lord, that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher, that each one of us might be spirit-filled as your children, that your word might accomplish in us to your glory the purpose to which you send it. Lord, that we might be better equipped, that we might have right attitudes about the time and place that you have put us, Lord, that we might be found faithful. And Lord, I pray if there are those here that have not taken up the challenge to follow the king, that today would be the day that you draw them to yourself, that they also today become soldiers of the cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus has demonstrated the ministry to the disciples. Now he sends them out. In the first 15 verses, we have the first campaign. And the first campaign is like no other campaign. And he tells some things here. We don't base our ministry upon these things. This was for the first campaign. It says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out till every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. So he told them, here's where you're going. Now, that's why it's not a command for us. Otherwise, we'd only speak to Jews about the gospel. It was for their time and their place. That was their first campaign. Later, he's going to send them to all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. But right now, the gospel goes to the Jew first. Then he tells them the message. Preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is their opportunity. This is a real offer of the kingdom for them to receive Christ as their savior, as their king, and the kingdom would be established. It was a real offer. Did God know they're going to reject? Yes, he did. It doesn't make the offer less real. So he offers the kingdom. Then he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you received, freely give. Now for this trip, he says, do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts. He's saying, don't raise support. Now, this is a Jewish thing. This has to do with Jewish culture. Because in that culture, rabbis that came, prophets that came, could expect to be taken in by the people that were there and to be taken care of. Later, in chapter 22 of Luke, he says, Now, I told you before, don't bring money. Don't bring an extra coat. Don't bring a bag. Now, I'm telling you, get a bag. Bring some clothes with you. Have support so you can support yourself in the ministry. But here, he says, this is very Jewish, Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy. Stay in this house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, take back, uh, give it your blessing of peace. If it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of the house of that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, more, be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, he's, he's also telling him to do a Jewish thing. It was kind of a tradition 
when Jews left foreign countries to come back home as they were leaving that, that other nation, they would shake the dust off their feet. So to say, we don't even want Gentile dust in Israel. That's a very, very Jewish thing. So he says, if they don't receive your word that the king is sending to them, then you shake their dust off your feet. You let them know they're in trouble. And so we see in this passage, it's kind of a, MacArthur calls it a telescopic view. It's prophetic. So you have the near responsibility. Now he's going to talk about the battlefield conditions for every soldier that ever follows Jesus Christ. This is the culture we live in today. Now in America, we've grown up because America is probably the only other nation that was ever founded upon the word of God. The only nation that invoked the blessings of God and the curses of God if it should be a a nation that forgets God. When George Washington was elected president, the first seat of government was in New York. And after he was inaugurated, he led all of the government down to a little Episcopal church that's still there in New York. And they dedicated the nation to God. And they prayed God's blessing on this nation as it was obedient but they also invoke the curses of God's word if this nation should ever turn its back on God. Rabbi Jonathan Kahn says the shot across the bow is the same thing that happened to Old Testament Israel in the north when Assyria came down. And it was interesting, Jonathan Kahn points out that when the towers fell, our leaders... Our president, some senators quoted Isaiah chapter 9. And because they're not believers, they understand the Israelites in chapter 9 were thumbing their nose at God. They were saying, okay, some bricks have fallen. We'll rebuild with stone. So the sycamores have been fallen, but we're going to replant cedar trees. And they were basically saying to God, well, that's fine. God had warned them to turn from their sin. It was interesting, Jonathan Kahn says, that of all the scripture, our national leaders went to that passage that thumbs its nose as God, that says, whatever doesn't kill us will make us stronger. So, eh, that's a shot across the bow. Jonathan Kahn said, he didn't think about it until they started quoting that passage, so he went to ground zero, and he witnessed as they brought stones from the quarry in New York to plant and be the foundation for the new tower that's going up. You know what that tower is called? One World Trade Center. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting. It's also interesting that when the blast took place of those buildings falling, that it knocked the trees down in that little church courtyard, that little front of that church, just knocked those trees down. You know what kind of trees those were? Sycamores. You know what they replanted? Cedars. See, God has warned our nation. We have no guarantee that this nation will rise like like Israel because we are not God's chosen people. It is Israel. Now, those that receive Christ as their Savior, they're grafted in. That's the shot across the bow. Psalms says, all the wicked will be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. As this nation has turned its back at God, it's no wonder It's there in Romans chapter 1 that the culture is going to be adverse. We have enjoyed over 200 years 
of a nation that its purpose was to glorify God. Now, not every, belief, not every person in the nation was a Christian. But folks, this nation has lost its mind. You know what? That's not a surprise. Because in Romans chapter 1, it says that when they give themselves over to worshiping the creation more than the creator, God turns them over to a reprobate mind. And immorality just begins to take over. So it's no wonder that today we have people that call evil good. And those that stand for good, they call evil, they call haters. That's the culture we're in. Now, this is not unknown to believers. This culture has been what most believers have faced in every age. Now we will have to begin to face it. So Jesus says about the normal culture, the normal battlefield conditions that he sends his children into. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, sheep and wolves, they don't mix. And when you put a herd of sheep with a pack of wolves, what happens? Sheep die. That's what happens. Jesus said, I understand I understand the battlefield conditions. Therefore, you need to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. What does that mean, harmless as doves, wise as serpents? What does that mean? Well, think about a snake. It was cursed because Satan used it to deceive Eve and cause man to fall. And so the curse was you'll go on your belly. And you'll eat dust all the years of your life. In order, a snake doesn't have legs. Most people can get away from a snake, a snake if they know it's there. Now, I was not telling you to be sneaky or speak with a double tongue. He's saying you need to be cunning. You need to be wise. We've already read Jesus told us we're not to cast our pearls before swine. We don't have to give that which is holy to the dogs. You don't have to say something every time something somebody says something adverse. We have all kinds of, of, of terrible corruption going on in our culture because our culture's turned its back on God. And no matter what sin they're lost in, they're still lost in sin. So don't take it personal. It's just the battlefield conditions. Somebody is gender confused. Their biggest problem is not that. The biggest problem is they don't know Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said through Paul in Ephesians, speak the truth in love. And as we look at the book of Proverbs, there's so much wisdom that, listen, you should saturate yourself in the book of Proverbs also. Because Proverbs, you know, Jesus is wisdom personified. And Proverbs said, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. What words are those? Those are the words of God. Give people God's word. And it says a soft answer breaks the bone. You don't have to have an answer for everything. But you're always in wisdom looking for the opportunity and wisely putting it in there when you have the opportunity. And then harmless as doves. We're a weird kind of soldier, that sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, it's amazing, maybe, to think about 
But this is the real challenge of Christianity. This false message that's in America today, you can have your best life now. Just turn to Jesus and you're going to get all the money, all the fame, all the position. And they really like to have a lot of movie stars around it to sell that. And famous people and rich people and athletes. So we go, oh, I get Jesus on my side. I can go all the way. That's not Jesus' challenge here, is it? That's opposite. Remember those disciples that came to him? Oh, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. He says, really? Have you thought about that? Because I don't have my own place even. Oh, okay, well, then let me just, you know, bury my dad so I can get my inheritance. No, let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. But Jesus is saying here, he's laying it out so that you understand. He's not saying, join me and everything's going to be a bed of roses. It's like the Marines. They're just looking for a few good men. What the Marines sell young men on is not, listen, we got the best barracks, the best conditions, the nicest people to work with you. Because you know that's not true. Even in the army, the first thing that met us coming off the bus was not the cook and somebody's grandma. It was a drill sergeant. And he started by hollering and screaming at us. And to me, it seemed like you're really excited about not much. Get off the bus. Okay, I can get off the bus. People don't join special forces. People don't desire to become to join a SEAL team because the conditions are so nice and the barracks are so cushy. They do it because there's a challenge. And that's what Jesus is laying out here. If you're going to follow me, you better be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, because I send you out as sheep among wolves. So, verse 17, beware of men, for they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in the synagogues. This didn't happen in their first campaign. But after Jesus rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit came down, they remembered, we're not surprised by this. So when they scourge and they threaten Peter and John and James, what do they do? They go back to the church and they say, they tell God on them and say, you see what they did? You heard their threats, Lord. No, please save us from this. No, they didn't say that, did they? They said, take note of their threats. But God, give us boldness. Jesus is not trying to hide the fact that you live, most Christians have grown up in adverse cultures. We just happen to be coming to it today in America. This is not new to Christianity. Beware of men. They'll hand you over to courts, scourge you in the synagogues. You'll even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony for them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour for what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Isn't that awesome? We just sang a song about that. He's the one that goes before us. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that empowers us. And if you happen to get hauled into court because of your faith, and you say, you know, I'm just not much of a speaker Remember this verse. If it's because of your faith, then you don't have to study what to say. God's going to use you. Have you ever considered the message of Stephen? What a powerful message. It wasn't a long message, but Stephen the deacon, 
He was going to every synagogue trying to share Christ. And nobody could withstand his wisdom. Why? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And they hate him so much, they bring him out in front of them, and he preaches this amazing message there in Acts. You say, what an amazing message. He must have been a real studier. Well, I think that Stephen was a diligent man because you see that in his logic and and the way he was able to argue and and present the gospel, and they couldn't stand against his wisdom because it was God's wisdom. But I think that day, that day, that was God. And that amazing message, if it was for nobody else, and I think it says after that a number of priests identified with Christ after that, but there was one man there, the one young man that was in charge of his execution. They laid their feet at a young man's feet. His name was Saul. Saul was going around making havoc and wrecking havoc. He was a terrorist to the church of Jesus Christ. But he couldn't get away from that message. Later, when God knocks him on his face, when he was going up to another place to persecute Christians, Saul finally cries out. Why? Because there'd been something, Josh, really poking him ever since that message. He said, who are you, Lord? And a voice from heaven says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. You think you're persecuting these people? No, you're persecuting me. And then he says this, Saul... It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What is the goads? It was the gospel, I believe, that Stephen had sown in his life by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is God's campaign. This is God's battle. You don't have to worry about how to win it. He knows that. He just expects you to be an obedient soldier. And it says you're never alone. He's with you. And if it comes to that, he'll put the words in your mouth. Verse 21, the persecution is going to come from your family. It's going to come from government. It's going to come from your own spouse, from your friends. Brother will betray brother. A father will betray his child. Children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Can you imagine? That's how much Satan hates anything God's established. That's how much he hates This is a new thing for us today, maybe, but it's not new to believers around the world. You'll be hated by all because of my name, but is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Now, in these couple verses, he's going to shoot way out there in prophecy. Past this time, he's teaching these fellas. And he's going to say, the one who endures to the end He'll be saved, but when you, they persecute you, flee from one city to the next. For I truly say to you, you will not be finished going through the city of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now, 37 years after, around there, 35 years or so, after this message is preached, Israel no longer exists as a nation. Titus comes in, levels the temple, and it said that no believers, no Christians died during that time, only Jews, because they listened to what Jesus said and they got out of town. God used the persecution of his church because they were told, now the Holy Spirit's going to come on to you, go into all the world. But they said, no, we like it here in Jerusalem. This is, this is good. We'll just stay here. The old system was everybody came to Israel and they could hear the truth. God says, no, we got a new thing going on now. It's called you go to all the world. And persecution comes. and The Bible says they went everywhere doing what? Preaching. They didn't stop. They didn't run so they could hide. They ran 
so it could spread the seed of the gospel. And then he says, you'll not finish and go through the city of Israel. Israel's a nation once again. The gospel is beginning to shine there once again. One day, during the tribulation, all Israel will be saved. You say, well, I don't believe that stuff. I, don't, I think God's done with Israel. My friend, if God doesn't keep his promises to the nation of Israel, how do you know he's going to keep the promise to you? He promised he would do that. Every believer that comes to Christ is grafted into the promises of Abraham. But he has set his affection on that nation, not because they're better than everybody else. I was talking to Carl a couple weeks ago. He said, you know, I'm convinced that God chose the most stiff-necked, rebellious people to be his people, that he might display his grace. It's not because they deserved it. God said, look to the pit from which God hauled you out. He didn't choose you because, talking about the nation, he didn't choose the nation because they were better. He chose the nation because he just did, just like he chose you. It's his amazing grace that saved a wretch like us. Well, he goes on next in the next subject, and he talks about the characteristics of a soldier. Talks about the disciplines of a soldier. Verses 24 and 25, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they call the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? See, that's the desire. All these other disciplines come out of that one true, that one truth that is in the breast of every believer. It's in your heart that you desire to be like Christ. In American Christianity today, it's like this flavor. Oh, I go to church. I know this doctrine. I hear to this teaching over here. And so you put your stuff out there, but your life is not Christ. You're, you got one eye on the world and all the things you want to accomplish, and then Jesus is a nice flavor to bring along. That's not discipleship. That's not a disciple of Jesus Christ. It says here, the life that Christ put in you is that everything in your life points to him and your desires to be like him in everything. That's your most important identification, your most important discipline, and it's his life. You endure because that's his life in you. You desire righteousness because that's his life in you. When you receive his life, when you receive Christ as your Savior, his spiritual DNA becomes your spiritual DNA. And yes, you're still a sinner saved by grace, but he's working in you. And the Bible says, faithful is he that calls, he will also bring it to pass. The most amazing thing about heaven after Jesus is what you're going to be like, right? What I'm going to be like. Because our biggest challenge in this life is not other sinners. It's this sin right here. That's the biggest challenge, how I react. Christ has called us to be like him. And he said it very plainly, you be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Is that possible? Not in this life. But we put up these little scales that are not found in scripture. Well, you know, like really spiritual people, they're, they're like Jesus. So you got Jesus up here, 
You got missionaries, you know, they, they go to India and get bit by snakes. So, you know, they're, they're really spiritual. They really like to suffer in hot weather. So put them there. And then you got, you know, deacons and, and pastors. They're, they're pretty spiritual. You put them in. And I'm over here. You know, God knows I need to enjoy life. So I got these little sins in my life. You know, nothing, nothing out there in the open. Just I keep them hidden because, you know, I don't have to be spiritual. There's no secondary disciplines Every believer is called to holiness. You're called to this battle, every single one. Some of the greatest saints are those that are unknown. The Sunday school teacher that was a junior high Sunday school. Now, that's a giftedness, isn't it? You want to see a gifted man? You go talk to Jeremy Smith. He's our junior high youth pastor you got to have a special giftedness for that. There was a junior high Sunday school teacher that just felt a burden to talk to his boys about the Lord. Go visit them where they were. In the back of a shoe store, that Sunday school teacher led D.L. Moody to the Lord. And millions of people know Jesus today because a Sunday school teacher, unknown to most of us, was faithful as a soldier of Jesus Christ. First of all, it's identity. Jesus Christ is everything. Listen, we live in a politically correct world. It didn't used to be this way. It used to be under, uh, understand it. It's put down. Oh, there was such shame in our culture. Oh, that's so terrible. Now, I'm not saying everybody used right and wrong the way God wants us to be used. But the point is, now our God is our belly and our glory is our shame in this culture. And we mind earthly things. Even believers are pushed into the mold. And I hear people say all the time, well, I can't stand for Christ in my job because, you know, I worked in the government. I hear this a lot. I'm a coach. So, you know, as a coach, I really can't take a stand for the Lord, you know, because, oh, yeah, God is so amazed with athletics. They got a silly Christian song today about, you know, going to play uh, football in the backyard of your father someday up in heaven. Come on. We have come to a place of triteness and easiness in Christian culture. And it's no wonder the church is dying in America. Have you ever wondered why these big cities that have mega churches and these pastors are touted all over the place as the way to do ministry? That abortion still rules in those big cities? Death still rules? That it's no different? Why is that? Because the church has ceased to be salt and light. A Christian missionary wrote a little song we like to be liked we hate to be hated at least we like to be appreciated and evangelical christianity just wants to be like so don't you like us our message is easy that's not jesus message jesus was take up your cross and follow me and the first characteristic after identity is courage therefore do not fear them don't be afraid. Now, I'm not saying that you should waste your employer's time by preaching all the time. But you know what? On the job, even, people talk about everything. If you're an athletic team, there's trips. People talk about things, hunting, the weather. They talk about all kinds of things. You talk about Jesus. You look for those opportunities to slide the gospel. You know why? Because they're all hurting. No matter how much they're pursuing what they think is going to bring them joy, they are disappointed with life. There's an old saying, Satan doesn't have any happy old men. Because when they get to the end of life without God, there's only bitterness and disappointment. You have the answer. You have the gospel. 
You have the keys to heaven for them. So don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Verse 27, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim in the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy body and soul in hell. You know, the reason the 23rd Psalm is such a blessing and such an assurance, it gives us courage. Because, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. Who's he? He's the one no one can stand against. He's the one that spoke the worlds into existence. He's God. There's nobody like him. And he promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Just speak when he tells you to. Go where he tells you to go. Stand when he tells you to stand. He's the one that's sending you. He's the one that provides and protects you. Just be obedient. Simple, not easy. And then next he talks about the reason we can have courage because our confidence is him. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And any time one falls, the God knows about it. Aren't you more important than sparrows? He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you. We sing a song sometimes in church. He knows my name. You know, one day, every believer that goes to heaven, Jesus is going to have a personal talk with you, and he's going to give you a new name that nobody knows but you and him. Personal. No matter where he goes, no matter if you suffer alone in prison one day, you're not alone. He's right there. He knows where you're at. He wants to hear from you. He knows everything about your life. He has purpose for your life. But the question is, are you fulfilling his purposes? Let's hurry along. Then there's their profession. This is important. Therefore, everyone who confesses him before men, I will confess him before my father was in heaven. But whoever denies him before men, I will also deny him before my father is in heaven. You know, when a person comes to Christ, when I see a person come to Christ, the first thing I do is, come here, come with me. And I find a believer. And I say, tell him what just happened. Oh, oh. I just received Jesus. And what happens when you share that with another believer? Woo, man, a party breaks out. The first thing I tell them, do you know, after they get in prayer, do you know when every time a sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice? There's rejoice. They're amazed that any sinner can be saved. They're amazed by the grace of God. And so they shout and they celebrate. But what I'm trying to disciple a believer to is, listen, this is your life now. This is your life. Get used to confessing Christ. This is not a threat. If you don't confess Christ, you'll lose your salvation. This is just the way it is. Believers confess Christ. They agree with God, and they're not ashamed to tell everybody he's their life. So start. It's amazing to me how many churches are not disciplining new believers this way. And they tell them like the world, oh, listen, this is between you and God, this person, so just keep this to yourself. You, you know, go, go undercover on your job, never let them know. You'll be able to really go a long ways if you don't tell anybody. Well, then who are you looking to for promotion? The Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west, from the north, but he sets one up and he puts another one down. He said, but if I really stand for the Lord and I confess him, I could lose my job. Well, you don't want that job anyway. If you can lose that job that easy, you think God knows about that? 
And he's saying to his children, listen, make sure you stay undercover. Because I'm just not really, don't have that much power. You know, I, I can't protect you all the time. So, you know, just take care of yourselves. No, no, no. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. That's the amazing part. He knows exactly what he's called you to do. He's gifted you perfectly for that purpose. And he desires more than anything for one day say to you, well done, well done. You did what I called you to do. Don't be afraid. He says, listen, skip down to verse 37. Or 36, a man's enemies will will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Yes, some people refuse to confess Christ in the waters of baptism because they're waiting for their family to like it. So Jesus said, wait for a convenient time before you confess me before men. Well, you know, my boyfriend's not a Christian, and so I'm just really, I know I'm disobedient. I shouldn't be dating him, but I'm going to win him. Yeah, you're, you're more powerful than the Holy Spirit is. Listen, you be obedient. You confess Christ before him, and the first step of a believer is to confess him. And God's given us an opportunity. It's called believer's baptism. So stand up, say, I'm not ashamed to follow Jesus Christ, and I'm being baptized as a member of his body. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You know, Jesus kind of gave a business proposition. Because some people, they're kind of looking at the cost and they see real believers and what it costs them. And they say, well, I don't know. They understand the gospel. They know they're sinners. They even are, are saying with their mind that if I, if I don't receive Christ and I die, I'm going to hell. But uh, I just don't know if I want to give that up. So Jesus puts it out there in a business proposition in Matthew chapter 16. He says this. If a man gains the whole world, you get everything you want. You get fame, money, position, power, everything that can be offered in this life. A man gains the whole world, but you lose your soul. So you get this for maybe the most, 70, 80 years, and you lose your soul for all eternity, you think that's a good business deal? No, it's not. Then he goes a little further. He said, now listen, if a man could know at the moment he's dying, that now he's dying and he's gained the whole world, what do you think he'd give in exchange for his soul? He'd give everything, wouldn't he? That's exactly what Jesus asked. He wants you to turn your back on the world. Because it's worth nothing compared to eternity, compared to him. He is worth it. Whatever you think, you're holding back, but you will miss out by submitting to him. As soon as you receive him, you'll say, oh, man, I'm not disappointed. Because the Bible promises whoever trusts him will never be disappointed. And that's Jesus' invitation. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, here's something for our courage. In Job chapter 14, verse 6, verse 5, it's, it says, Our days are numbered. The number of your months is with God, and his limits you, God has set so that you cannot pass. Here's the deal. No matter how much you risk for the gospel, you're going to die when Jesus says You get to have an adventure that's just simply amazing if you just follow him. 
And he has an appointed time anyway. So you might as well live it to the fullest for him that you might hear, well done, faithful servant. The last point, just briefly, is the soldier's fellowship. He receives you, receives me. He receives me, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, surely I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. To welcome Christ's emissaries is tantamount to welcoming Jesus. And you know, guys, we need fellowship. He's not called any of us to a one-man army. He wants to, you to be in the church, serving the church. He needs you to be in those small fighting units, those small places of fellowship, encouragement, and ministry, those places of accountability where other brothers and sisters bring us to account, iron sharpening iron, that we might be all that God has intended us to be. And he said, there's a reward. As you welcome God's ministers, God's servants, there's a blessing for that. Father, we thank you for this amazing passage. It's so rich. But that's the challenge that you've laid down. If you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. And there's a battle to be fought, but Lord, there's victories to be won. There's glories to be gained. And you've promised through the Apostle Paul, that whatever little suffering we have cannot be compared to the weight of glory that we'll, be, we'll share with you one day. Oh, Lord, challenge hearts. And, Lord, call the lost to this great challenge to join the victor parade, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.